Welcome to the Tim Vaxelbaum Show. This is episode 50 of the program. Wow, can you believe it? We made it all the way to episode 50. Well, I, I did. I mean, nobody else had anything to do with that. Okay, I take that back. I was very positively encouraged to continue doing this by one person in particular. I don't think he still listens, though, so I'm not going to give him a shout-out. If he still listens, I'll shout him out on the next episode. He knows who he is. It's the only person who's ever done that. So anyway, 50. I actually made it to 50 episodes. And the reason I bring that up is because I think that is worthy of like being celebrated as a milestone. Because I almost stopped doing it many times. I mean, okay... I drifted a little bit with the or you know with the scheduling like you know I kept pushing back the day that I would put it out that's why there's only 50 episodes instead of 52 or 53 however much it's it's been a year since I started doing this thing uh so I took you know I never took a full like 2 weeks off I took I just kept like hey, I don't want to do it today the point is anything worth doing usually is only hanging by a small thread in the early stages of its life. Um, another example of that would be a business I started in uh, 2018. First, just about this podcast. I started this podcast after becoming sober from alcohol, and I was just like, it snapped me back into reality. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm quitting alcohol. I'm no longer going to do... So let's actually do the thing I moved here to do. Let's actually kind of be creative. Um, the podcast is now something that I actually value and will probably never never stop doing. It has. Uh, it's gotten to the point where I'm no longer like ashamed of it. And some of those episodes, up until just the past few, I was just completely phoning it in and not caring at all about the quality and that was the right move who gives a crap about the quality in the beginning it's about putting the work in to get better at talking into a microphone that's a skill that very few people possess and i'm not saying i'm that great at it i listen back to these things and i go okay you said that word a lot you said um you said and so way too many times you don't have to put in filler words you could just Take a little break from talking. If you're thinking of something, you don't have to be like, you want to, um, and, so, and, so, and so, and so, you don't have to do that. People don't like it. Also, lip smacking sounds. I'm working on that. I'm working on making it so my voice is more easily consumable. So people actually, maybe they'll, they'll actually like listen to it. So that's something I haven't been trying to do up until now. Until very recently, I am taking this as uh, my job. This is this is what I'm going to be doing as a job. Hope I mean, whether I get paid or not, this is my career of choice that I'm pursuing full time to live off. Okay, the business that I started in 2018 uh, did not. Okay, so I did talk about it before. I don't. I guess I don't really go that into detail about it because it's a uh, very niche it's a very niche business and uh, the people that are interested in it yeah they would they would want to hear probably everything about it but th that's like one in one in ten thousand it's a very niche uh business model 
so when I started it, it immediately had overnight success. I wasn't a millionaire, but overnight, this business accumulated over 10,000 uh, users. Um, so it was very instantly known that I had tapped into a good idea. And also, I was the first one doing it. So, you know, I wasn't copying anybody. I was every single thing about it was crafted by me. It was a minimalistic, uh, it was an MVP is what it's called. It's called Minimal Viable Product. So I only put in enough work to get the thing out before deciding if I wanted to actually, you know, to dedicate my whole life to it. This was after I lost a lot of money in the crypto market in 2017. So I was very dedicated to doing something to get that money back. This We're talking tens of thousands of dollars that I lost. It was in my hands. And I lost it from something really dumb that was, in retrospect, of course, I yeah, it was like a gamble that I pissed it away in. And so I was super gung-ho to get at least what I got back, what I lost uh, in Bitcoin back. So I started a business based around the coin Doge. Uh, based on sentimental analysis, I chose Dogecoin as the one to save me from damnation. I was not in poverty. I could have e I could have just gotten a job as a programmer. I I have technical skills, so that's it's not really that I was dealing with like okay, this is life or death. This is like poverty. No, this was just me trying to get into a new field. That was very difficult to get into. I mean, making money in crypto is not easy. It takes, if I mean, luck. If if you make money f through pure luck, yeah, that's that's still not easy. So anyone who's made money in crypto, it's not like, you know, it's very rare. I think to actually be profitable. Uh, so anyway, so I started the business. It was instantly had overnight success, and then. But it's not like I was making that much money. I was making like, what, seven bucks a day? And then it slowly got more and more. And like I told people about it when it was only making like five bucks a day. And they were like, okay. So, I mean, that's very unimpressive. And I was like, yeah, you know, the, the dollar amount, yeah. But the amount of people using it is worth a lot more than five bucks a day, which I later confirmed to be true. It slowly built users and became a very well-known brand in the field that it was in you would never hear of no one has ever would have heard of it unless they were in a in this specific market sector it was very popular in uh countries that have much lower uh economical whatever you want to call it Poor countries. That's the easiest way to, to describe who use this app. Poor countries, young people in poor countries loved it. And so it peaked in 20... So I don't have to talk about the whole business. I'm just saying the reason I bring it up on the 50th episode of the Tim Weichselbaum show is because I almost gave up on it many times. I almost just completely was like, okay, even though it's kind of still going, you know, I needed money. It was only generating about a hundred bucks a day in profit, which is a, which is which is great for me, for one person. That's fine, but I, you know, it 
it was I could have been making a lot more than that as a programmer. And it, I didn't. I don't know. I guess I needed more money at some point. I was like, okay, rent is expensive. I live in Chicago. I live in Lakeview, a very nice part of Chicago, probably the best part, in my opinion. It's a beautiful neighborhood. Um. So I almost quit. I almost quit the business, and I took up this contracting gig, which was a horrible gig, but it paid super good, and I had to be an expert, so-called expert, to get it. I had to actually like convince the dude that I was qualified, which I was. I was overqualified. That was not the problem. He, The dude who hired me wanted somebody to code in a way that is very like old-fashioned and not proper like it bad like a very dangerous way of coding like it would cost a lot of problems to code the way he wanted me to but i was like yeah screw it i actually i like challenges you know so i took i was like yeah give me the i'm an expert (laughs) um and then i got the and i got it and i was like okay immediately the co-worker that i was supposed to take instructions from didn't speak english very well and i couldn't understand a single word he was saying and on top of it, the coding practices were abysmal, and it wouldn't have been enjoyable at all to produce code in that environment, so I didn't. I did not produce a single line of code in the two weeks that I had the gig. And they asked me, so why have you not pushed a single line of code yet to the production server? And I was like, well, I'm still sorting out how the fuck your fucking system works. I'm still figuring out how to do that without infringing upon somebody else's hard work because you have no they didn't have a good version control uh situation going on it was horrible so you know i did i I did the professional thing and i did not produce code because yeah when you have a horrible code base it's going to take a lot of time and i told them that i was like well the reason I didn't push any code is because it wouldn't be professional to do that. I'm not just going to try to get the job done as fast as possible. That's just not how how I operate at this stage in my career. Uh, and what happened to that business? It's out of business. The business did not go anywhere. Uh, mine, which I almost quit and I took a break from for months, it just ran in the background because it, it was an automated business. I didn't really have to do much. So it was fucking brilliant. It was a brilliant business model, and uh, it's done. I, it peaked in 2021. It made so much money just by Dogecoin going up in value by, I don't even know how much, 100 times since I started the business. So I became extremely, you know, pretty damn successful in a very short amount of time. I didn't know that uh, that Elon Musk would absorb Dogecoin as his favorite coin the same way I picked it. He picked it for the same reasons. So brilliant minds think alike. And that was a, obviously that worked out pretty well. Um, I guess the reason I, I'm, the point is the bottom line is good things often are just barely able to make it to the point where they become good because the time i was thinking about quitting my business was way before um the the dogecoin rush before the gold rush when everybody and their fucking mother were talking to me about if they should invest in dogecoin are you kidding me like my real estate the dude who sold me this house not the dude who i went through 
not my real estate agent, the, the seller, the, the actual person that I purchased the house from that accepted the offer. Even he was like, Hey, should I get into Dogecoin? Cause he found out that I was paying for the house in Dogecoin. They found out cause they had to know like if I was getting a loan or not. Turned out I could not get a loan. Uh, cause that's very, very complicated if you get your money from cryptocurrency. So I had to pay for this house from proceeds that I made from Dogecoin. And that's pretty fucking cool. And I have not gone yet to, I have not gotten a, a plaque to, uh, I'm going to get a plaque and it's going to say like, this house was paid for by Dogecoin. I don't know, something like that. Something funny. It'll be funnier than, it'll be like creative. Because why, because it's fucking, I mean, that is pretty cool. So, I mean, you got to keep your eye on the long-term goals. Because this Dogecoin thing, it, it, it wasn't just luck. You know, I didn't just get lucky like, oh, you just happened to base a, a a business around the one coin out of thousands that happened to be the most popular coin for a few months, almost an entire year. I mean, 2021 was the year of Dogecoin. It was more talked about than Bitcoin, and that's why my, the dude who sold me this house, there's there was nobody talking to me about Dogecoin in 2018, when I started the thing, I was the one who did the research to to decide, okay, yeah, Dogecoin is a great fucking coin. I don't know why I have to curse so much, I guess, to show that I'm enthusiastic. Um, yeah, Dogecoin is a great coin. It's because it's almost like a cent. It's like the denomination. Like, you could have a bunch of them without paying a bunch of money. So it's a sentimental subjective analysis that I made. I mean, at, at the time, it was dead. It was worthless, um, but I stuck to my guns. And I could see that, okay, if Bitcoin goes back up, Dogecoin will have a great hay fever, have a great heyday, and it'll probably um, hit at least a cent. It did way better than that. It hit, it hit uh, 70 cents. And so, yeah, so I, I was flooded with the this crazy amount of... Um, endorphins i don't know what chemical serotonin something dopamine something was going on in my brain that day it was pretty much the day that elon hosted snl that was the peak of my financial you know success so far in my life um looking back at it yeah i should have probably sold a little bit before he bombed on snl i mean jesus christ elon nobody's talking about that as like a great you didn't kill. He didn't kill. So the pl the price went down immediately after that. Unfortunately, turns out you actually have to kind of be talented at show business to host SNL. I mean, who would have thought that maybe uh, you should actually be a comedian to host that thing or at least entertainer? Anyway, that was a long intro to get into the really because we're not even in the podcast yet i'm just checking my computer make sure that everything's going good with the uh the audio and everything because the internet is off for some reason okay and i'm coming to you in my bedroom this episode to uh to see how much it sounds bet how much better it sounds because i usually record in the main living room 
the main room of the house. It's a living. It's the. It's like the kitchen. It's an open floor plan. So that's. It was super echoey, and I removed the green screen. And without the green screen, it was even more echoey. So anyway, so I'm just trying to up my game in terms of quality, because I am taking this as a job, and we'll get more into that later. So I'm not going to say my life is going well because you know somebody might not like that and they'll try to like ruin it you know piss on my parade you know so i'm not gonna say that um because nobody wants to see somebody enjoying their fucking life but my life yeah it's it's better than it's it's going great right now even though like you can't see that i mean i'm just a dude in my bedroom talking to myself but actually it doesn't really feel like i'm talking to myself anymore because you know, at some point, people will find out about this podcast and they'll look back through the previous episodes, a small percentage of them who want to see how it started. And, you know, so I looked at the uh, I listened back to the previous episode where I talked about my gr- late grandfather. I listened to it many times because it was I was pretty proud of it. And uh, except for a few cringeworthy parts, of course, this podcast is becoming less cringy as I get better at it, but also it's becoming more cringy because I'm confident and that looks, you know, people don't like seeing somebody confident who's like comfortable with their, in their own skin, especially if you look like me, like a short, a short Jewish boy who looks younger than he is yet has a mouth, has a fucking big mouth. So I get, you know, I have self-awareness that it's going to become cringier as it becomes less cringier. It's like a phase change. It's like, okay. So anyway, so so I listened back to it, and there were parts where I was juxtaposing my grandfather's voice, and then immediately my fucking dumb voice, like, making jokes about Jews being weak and all that. And, you know, it was just a joke, but I know that... Other people are going to watch that and be like, holy crap, is he insensitive? Like, Jesus, this guy is, is what's wrong with this guy? And I don't know. I think it's just how I, it's just how I am. It's funny. I, I just think it's, it's like, it's okay to joke about it. And it also, it's like, just because you bring up a heavy topic, like that was, it doesn't mean I have to like act a certain way like this is my platform I'm, a, I'm allowed to do whatever i want if i'm the one who brings up the heavy topic it's also up to me how i decide how to present it and nobody else that i know in my family is going around showing clips of my grandfather and you know we share a grandfather we have the same one <laughs> they don't have a podcast they're just minding their own business, living their lives. I'm the one trying to actually be an, an entertainer or something in media, in the Jewish media. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's my responsibility to decide how I present that. And also, even if I do a bad job, it's better than it not being presented to anybody because nobody's going to dig around looking for that uh, video if I'm not the one. You know, it's a very obscure—I don't know why I'm explaining this. This also is another thing. So I am, I'm like good enough at this to become noteworthy someday. Like, you know, I, I am. So I'm just saying, you kind of have to prepare for that. Like if you are doing something that could lead to notoriety, whether good or bad, 
if you have people in your life that share the same last name as you, you kind of have to be aware that they're going to get harassed. And there's not much I could do to prevent that other than just to be aware of it and to try not to, I don't know, because I can't censor myself. I'm going to continue to say things that other people don't like. And if you become successful at this, there's going to be people on the internet that's, that write things about you and try to, you know, make your life worse and those that know you worse. So all I could really do is like say like I, I just you know I hope that they have good enough lawyers to to go after the these people for defamation because there's just always something to be gained from <laughs> from defamation anyway which is gonna happen I'm just saying it's hundred percent gonna happen if I'm successful and if I'm not successful then I'm a failure a financial failure and I'll have to. Uh, uh, close my business and like that'll be a huge deal so i have to work towards this becoming a uh a, a real job so anyway well, I don't, okay let's get into the podcast episode 50 of the tim okay so i've i've recently been treated for a disease that i have had all my life called adhd so i guess this will be the 88 adhd episode this will be the ADHD update part of the episode. Um, I'm not on Adderall today. I'm taking a break from Adderall. So, and, you know, so I'm seeing how I'm doing without it. You don't want to be on it. Like, it's just something that I don't want to do every day, even though I probably need it every I do need it every day. I need the, the effects that it causes every day, but... I don't want to get addicted to it. I don't want to have it in my system building up to the point where I have a tolerance that's very difficult to get rid of. So, yeah, I'm being extremely conservative and I'm respecting the molecule. That is something that is not taught in schools is how to respect molecules. Like, you, th you don't think about them that often because they're fucking small. So, oh, yeah, all these molecules. Like, there's trillions and quadrillions of them all around me. So I'm supposed to respect all of them? No, you just have to respect the ones that you're using for, like, mind-altering effects and benefits. Like, LSD, for example, is a very good, you know, because that molecule is extremely potent. You only need, like, I don't know, a couple micrograms for it to do something. Okay, you need a little more than a couple. You need about 10 or 50 micrograms. That's like a millionth of a gram for it to actually do something that's insane that means you could have a fuck you could have like if you had a gallon of lsd i don't know if it i mean it's not a liquid so i don't know why that doesn't really make sense it would probably be a powder if it was a it would be a crystal which exists the pure lsd crystal exists and if you take a lick of that crystal you better not have anything to do in the next for 40 days at least because uh, it's that potent and that's why it's like a very like interesting chemical i mean if it only takes such a small amount for it to have a benefit yeah you better respect the hell out of it you be like it's ridiculous that they don't teach this in school it's like because of course kids are going to be exposed to every single drug under the sun so it's crazy that they don't tell kids how to do it safely 
You have to go on YouTube to get this information. The most valuable information tends to be somewhere on YouTube. <laughs> like, I mean, and I'm saying that as like somebody who's like intelligent. I'm not like, I'm not like a dumb person. I actually, you could trust me a little bit, but that's, you know, I'm not an authority. I'm just saying for my own, my own experience, YouTube is where you get the highest quality knowledge on specialized information i mean I'm, that's just how it is so that's where you find out how to actually take it safely and that goes for any molecule that you're using whether it's for medical benefits or recreational i think that covers any reason to use a drug if you're using these chemicals the ones that i am talking about the ones that i will continue to be talking about on this episode like um it's either for a medical benefit or a recreational benefit. There's not really anything else. Like, what else is there to use a drug? So, yeah, you might think you're using it recreationally, but you're actually using it medically. Many people who use, you know, uh, all these common things like weed, even caffeine, I would say, they're taking it for medical reasons, not just to uh, for fun. Like, oh yeah, coffee, it makes me buzzed. It's like, yeah, but that also gives you a reason to, like, you know, get shit going. And, like, it gets the ball rolling to get you to get work done. So you could argue that there actually is a medical reason that you're using it. Because other substances will get you to that same place that are not caffeine, that are prescribed. And I found that out with the ADHD medicine that I'm on. I don't need to be on caffeine if I'm on Adderall. Adderall does what caffeine does a lot better. You need a tiny bit. It doesn't make you jittery. Okay, it can. It could definitely make you tense up in the jaw. It gives you like this, it makes you want to clench your jaw, but that means you're taking too much. It's powerful enough where you shouldn't, be taken enough to experience those uh, that uh, side effect. Uh, and if you're taking it for ADHD, yeah, you're only taking it to remove the symptoms of ADHD. You're using it to neutralize those symptoms. You're not taking it to add on extra shit that you don't need. Because if you have ADHD, you're probably already a pretty good person. Like, you're probably already pretty competent at life, unless you have some other condition. If you just have ADHD, you don't have to take it recreationally. I've only really, you know, I've experienced people that take it uh, for ADHD, and I, I've experienced people taking it recreationally. Both of those people take way too much. I've never met anybody who's taken the amount that I'm taking, which is about five milligrams, and that's plenty. Even that is almost more than I need, which is insane, which is uh, just confirms that I, you know, I'm actually taking it for the proper reason. I'm taking it for what it was, what it's actually prescribed for. And that makes me a little bit guarded of, you know, for, it makes me very defensive when somebody asks me, you know, about Adderall. Like, I don't want to share it with somebody. Like, of course not. Uh, unless it's somebody that maybe has a undiagnosed ADHD, then maybe I would consider like, okay, I'll give you a tiny bit, but this would be somebody that I'm very close with, not just some rando. If some rando is like, oh, you got any extra Adderall? Like, of course, my answer is going to be like, fuck no. It's mine. I need it. I'm taking it. It's medicine. And 
I am taking it as medicine because I don't even like taking it, dude. I don't even get excited for Adderall. It's like, you know, because it, 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 it lasts so long. It's just I know I'm going to be up all night. It doesn't matter how early I take it. I'm going to have such a po- uh, positive day. I'm going to have such a productive day that it's going to put me in a mood where I want to stay up involuntarily. So that's, it causes insomnia for, for psychological reasons, not for, not for the actual chemical like keeping me awake. It's already out of my system by the time I go to bed. But my brain is still active because I'm super like elated that I'm having good days instead of bad days. So that's something I'm working on is how to solve the insomnia problem. And, you know, just because you figure out the solution to the symptoms of ADHD, it don't mean that your life is magically perfect the next day. So, and that, you know, that is how it is for people with ADHD. They have to do it. They have to kind of take things into their own hands. Like I was, I didn't, nobody told me to check out ADHD symptom or like to see if I uh, needed to be treated for it. It was just me. I was the one who did my own research and just ran, you know, after enough Googling, you stumble upon something that sounds like the solution and it turned out to be the solution. And there's a lot of literature. There's a lot of great YouTubers that talk about ADHD. So if you have it, you'll definitely know if you have it, if you immerse yourself on the, these online communities. So not everybody does that. My doctor did not tell me, okay, maybe it's ADHD, even though I went to him complaining about the symptoms of ADHD. Like I told him I couldn't focus on things that I was definitely, you know, used to be interested in. But he's just like, yeah, that sounds like depression. Because I presented with depression. I thought it was like clinical depression. That's how bad it was. I was like bedridden um, for most of the day. It was a productive day if I took out the garbage. That was considered a positive, <laughs> that was considered like a productive day when you're untreated, when I was untreated. So I thought, okay, I must be like really depressed, like not just a little depressed. If I can't even like get shit done around the house, that sounds like clinical depression. So that's not what it was. I'm no longer depressed. I have, you know, depression, but it's not clinical. It's just, it's like just, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the effects of, of Adderall wearing off. When Adderall wears off, you're going to naturally feel a little bit of a come down and that come down for me presents as uh melancholy you just feel sad a little bit yeah just minor melancholy and i didn't have that when i was d- depressed when i was depressed i didn't have melancholy i just had um lack of emotions whatsoever lack of drive to do anything, to move, to move at all. And that's what ADHD is, is the, is like lack of executive function, which means being able to move around and stuff. So Adderall is a powerful stimulant that gets your brain to tell the other parts of your brain. And then finally down to your brainstem and everything to actually move and do stuff and 
be a full functioning human being it's an it's a very like um powerful disease adhd like if you go without treating it your quality of life is going to be so severely diminished that you're going to feel mentally retarded handicapped and and a bunch of other words that describe the exact same thing you're going to you're not going to feel like yourself you're not even going to know yourself until you treat adhd that's why i'm spending so much time talking about it is because there's other people not just in my bubble in my family there's people that in chicago one in particular who's a very talented comedian i'm not going to say who it is but he was quickly i discovered that he was one of the best if not you know the best comic in the whole city he was certainly the best at improv and he still is i'm sure he still is great he's still doing it i haven't seen him in over a year he's the best at crowd work and i was like okay so he's clearly the best at something he's clearly like a legit comic but he uh nobody really uh talked about him that much like nobody was like oh man this guy's like the best it was pretty much just m me and a few other people who knew that he was that good i don't know i don't know i think it's just jealousy i don't really know i think it's just because comedians don't really talk about other comedians in a positive light unless <laughs> if there's no reason to you know they really they do they do i'll take that back you could hate another comedian but if they're funny you'll admit that they're funny most comedians will at least admit if another comic is funny even if they fucking hate them you know so yeah okay so people knew he was funny the problem is he never like got above the uh, amateur level like he he's not a professional i don't think he is okay maybe i guess technically he could count as a professional because i guess he probably like pays taxes on the income that he makes from gigs but he's not a traveling road comic he's not even like a feature okay he features at the local clubs he headlines local amateur style shows that pay 20 bucks or whatever but he's not doing what he's worth he's the level of talent that could be making ten thousand bucks a gig i mean if joe rogan is then of course you know he is too he's the, he's he's that good he's great at comedy and yet he's not leaving his home base he's not a true headliner yet which is insane he should be a headliner in every club across the country the reason for that is because, in my opinion, in my non-expert opinion, I'm not a fucking psychiatrist. He has ADHD. He's not the PS. He has depression, but he, his main issue is not the depression. It's the same exact thing that I was going through. I thought I was clinically depressed. No, I just had ADHD. He's the same way. I think, and yeah, I know he has ADHD because he told me. I asked him. Because he was that symptomatic that it was pretty obvious that he had ADHD. And I asked him, do you have ADD? He's like, yeah, why? He didn't say what. He's like, yeah. 
but that was the end of the con- that was the end of the conversation and like i was like okay cuz clearly it's annoying to be to deal with somebody with ADHD they don't listen they like, you could tell they're like they're tuning out it's like dude i'm telling you shit that's valuable can you like can you fix that uh so he had it really bad and i'm sure he's tried Adderall before i mean he's a, he's a definitely lived a long enough life where i'm sure he's tried fucking Adderall he probably just didn't like it because he took too much because doctors don't have the time to deal with the dosages for individual patients. It's not that doctors are not smart enough or educated. They know, I'm sure, that you don't need to be taking 20 milligrams of the stuff every day or any day. For any any day, I wouldn't take 20 milligrams. It'd be insane. I'd be, I'd feel like a coke head. Um, so he probably took too much and just never wanted to do it again. Same with me. He got scared off from the, the medicine that he needed to live his full life. So this is valuable not just to me, but to other people that just don't know about ADHD. They don't know that it's affecting them to this level because doctors don't want to deal with ADHD patients. I could, you know, I'm just going by a general rule. If, if they don't specialize in it, they don't want to have patients coming to them asking for Adderall. I mean, it's such an abusable drug. It, it becomes so habit-forming, and you depend on it to do anything that involves your full abilities. It's like, well, if I have something coming up, I'm definitely going to try to clear my schedule. I'm going to lower my tolerance in the meantime so that when I have to really be on the stuff, I only have to take a small amount. And I, you know, because of course there, you got to take the good with the bad. You got to, you got to calibrate it. You got to modulate. That's a, that's the word. You got to know how to modulate this medicine, uh, the, the dosaging. Because <sighs> when I went to my doctor with ADHD, I set up an appointment, a video appointment, and he didn't even respond when I asked him for the appointment. He was he, um, like, I could tell immediately he was, I got my level of care went down a peg. It just, he, he was not interested at all in uh, condoning or what is the word? In being... Like, yeah, let's let's go down that. He wasn't enthusiastic about like about treating ADHD. He would rather it be something that's treatable with a non um controlled substance. But he's still a very good doctor because he let me he prescribed exactly what I needed without me going to a psychiatrist. He said usually I would refer you to a psychiatrist. I think he did at one point, but I I just never uh, I never uh, actually made the appointment. But he could tell that I knew what I was talking about, and uh, so he gave me, he got me on the the Adderall same day, or a couple days later, because I had to get a drug test. So he's a good doctor. So yeah, I don't have to switch doctors. I'm just saying that, you know, it's not easy. It's it's not. You kind of have to do it yourself, because he didn't tell me nothing about the dose. He said, "Okay, I'm gonna give you 20 uh, extended release." And he said, maybe don't take it every day. That's it. He just said, don't take it every day. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm probably going to take it as needed. He's like, yes. I quickly found out that it was the exact correct medicine for me. And, you know, I only took 10 the first day. And I was like, even that was too much. I was like, holy crap, I'm so fucking focused. I'm a different person 
So I, I took five and now I'm, that's all I take. If I take it at all, I take zero milligrams sometimes and it's fucking great. I gotta take a pill. Okay, so quickly, so ADHD. So there's so many, because not everybody has the luxury of being able to get into a psychiatrist that not only has availability, but also specializes in ADHD and is willing to take on more patients and all that. You really do need to treat this as a chronic condition that requires modulation and and being, you have to be very, like, precise and um you can't just chew like throw a bunch of adderall down your throat and expect it to be a sustainable solution and the reason this is such a serious episode i guess is because what i'm talking about is actually valuable to other people that's why i don't have to make jokes every two seconds i know i'm funny i don't have to do i don't have to prove it every time i'm I'm talking into a microphone so that's pretty much all i wanted to talk about with adhd you know it's still i'm like i'm obviously going through a very long it's a transition you got to take a day but you can't expect your life to just magically become ideal the idealized version of what you had planned overnight but i'm setting goals like a normal human so let's talk about so this is a new topic just the whole topic of just success how do you reach success well first you have to define what it is you have to define okay what what does that mean you have to set goals. So my goals were vague and non-descriptive. Non, they were not in stone. Like, you know, I, I want to be a comedian. I want to be a podcaster, some sort of musical artist, like something that involved musical creativity. I could do a lot. I, you know, I have many different abilities that I could pursue, but I never actually wrote down my goals or my uh, dreams I just call them like long-term goals, regardless of how high in this, you know, how achievable they actually are. I just had to write them down for the first time in my life. And it only took one day. I just opened a Google document and I was like, okay, long-term unachieved goals. What are they? Well, and and then I wrote another section for achieved long-term goals. Because, you know, if you think about it, I already achieved a few of my long-term goals. One of them was to move to Austin. That was a long goal. It took a long time to achieve is what I mean. Like I, I, I first thought about not to sound like a fucking hipster, but I kind of am. I kind of know what's cool before other people do. That's all being a hipster is if that's a bad thing, whatever but that's how i am i knew that austin was a cool place a long time ago like in 20 2007 is when i first decided that i should probably consider moving to austin um because it just had a lot of cool stuff going on um great place to be an artist at the time if you could afford it back then it was way more affordable now not only is it a Still a good place for artists, but it's not really, not really. You got to be like a millionaire to be an artist here. And I'm not even exaggerating. The reason you need to be like a millionaire to pursue art in Austin is because you need that much money saved up 
to be able to just fully dedicate yourself to an art, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm not a millionaire, but I'm kind, I'm almost a millionaire. I have enough where I could at least for the next few months to a year focus full time on art, which is what I'm doing right now. Uh, so one of my goals that I achieved is moving to Austin. I, I fucking knocked that one out of the park. Um, except for the fact that I don't technically live in Austin. I live outside of the city, the city limits. Thank God. Holy crap. Is that, was that a good choice by happens? I just happened to uh, pick a place that is not in the city limits. Oh my God. Do, do I not regret that? I live in the country. Uh, that's why I got to deal with like brown recluse and shit. Anyway, so another goal that I already achieved is, this is going to be a long episode. Holy crap. Another goal that I achieved is to get funny. If you're trying to be a comedian, first you have to get funny. Forget about making money. Forget about fame and yeah, wealth. Forget about that. To be a comedian, first you have to get funny. I mean, sure, you, you don't have to. There's ways... To, you could skip that part. Yeah. Those people, you know, some people do become successful before they're funny. And that's bad. That is really bad. Because that's really hard on the ego to realize that you became successful before you were ready. And then to have to, like, climb this fucking rope. Like, knowing that people are seeing you be bad. Like, they're seeing that you're... You know, they know that you're famous. If you're already famous... You're not going to be anonymous. But if you're, so if you're trying to become funny while already famous, I don't know anybody who's done that. That is so fucking impossible, dude. Because why would you? If, if you didn't want to do it when you were not famous, why would you want to do it when you're famous? That's going to be so much harder, man. So thank fuck I'm not, I had no like real success yet. Uh, you know, that is something to not take for, that is like a blessing, that I was like under the radar this whole time because now I'm actually starting to become good enough where I can like try to actually get real work, you know, um, 10 years in, it takes 10 years to decide if you're actually like good enough. If you're funny, a lot of people that I come across in Austin, most of them, like 90% of them are just doing it for the first couple of years. They're only a couple of years in so they have no idea if they're even supposed to be doing it. You know, let alone, of course, they're not that funny yet. Some of them are funny, but they're just born. They have the innate funniness. A lot of them, who the hell knows? What, I, I was thinking about this. I was like, okay, what about this person? As I was like falling asleep the other night, I was like, um, what about this person? Do, do they have what it takes to be a comedian? And then I just kept going and going until... I couldn't until I just did it for everyone I've ever fucking met in my life. And I was like, yeah, turns out based on my analysis, my Jewish 10 years of experience analysis, there's only about five that I could think of besides me. I'm including myself in that. So six, there's about six people in the Austin area that are actually like doing the right thing. They're actually like, it wasn't a mistake <laughs> to move here for them, whatever. Like, cause everybody pretty, pretty much moved here. So, cause there's so many, cause it's a fun thing to think about now that I'm starting to get what it's going to take to, to actually become a professional. 
uh, I'm looking at other people. What about that person? Are they ever going to figure it out? Because like I know that there's other people that are like kind of funny, but they just they don't have the interpersonal skills or the drive or the consistency to actually make it a thing. It's just it's just really fun to think about, and you know, because I because you know, you can't just be jealous of the ones who make it. You got to look at them and go, okay, what did they do right? What am I doing that they're not doing? You can't just be jealous and be like, oh, fuck them. They're not that good. They didn't deserve to have two HBO specials under the age of 40, which is insanely impressive by any stretch of the imagination. Like, of course, some people would just look at that, Drew Michael I'm talking about, and be completely out of their mind jealous. Like a dude, a white dude, a white straight male got two HBO specials under his belt before the age of 40. If you've been doing comedy for at least a year or two, you probably understand the weight of that level of success. <laughs> That's quite an accomplishment. He wasn't born into showbiz. Yeah, he's Jewish, okay, but he wasn't born into it. He had no family, like nobody helped him. He did it all on his own. Yeah, okay, some people gave him the opportunities on the way up, but he had to earn them. He has very poor interpersonal skills as far as I know. I don't know, I've never, I've met him, whatever. It's a negative thing to say about him, but I think it's true enough that I can say it, that he objectively, that's his weakness, interpersonal skills. Yet, I mean, I just listened to his fucking, uh, his Mark Marin podcast episode. If you want to experience the most entertaining thing between two Jewish comics, the, the ego and the fucking resentment that two fucking comics, it was not Drew Michael showing, it was a, it was okay. Maybe a little bit. Okay. That, it was a fucking, it was an amazing episode of, of Mark Maron's podcast. Holy shit. Was it great? So anyway, I don't think he has the best interpersonal skills yet. He's so talented and good at actually producing comedy and stand-up he's mastered the craft of stand-up comedy long ago like 10 years ago even he was already at the master level mastery and i'm not saying that to to uh i'm saying that in the most objective way imaginable i'm not like i'm not trying to stroke his ego he's actually like that good he could produce a new hour of stand-up every like six months and actually be able to like sell tickets and the the audience actually leaves feeling like they got their money's worth even though it only took him like six months to come up with and, and he's not like looking at his notes like he actually memorizes it so he's a genius at stand-up comedy he's a genius comedian objectively so i don't know I don't know. So, I, I, so you got to learn from him. You got to learn from the people that do it. You can't just be jealous. Oh, fuck him. Of course people are jealous of that. Mark Marin was super jealous. He couldn't hide his jealousy, even though clearly Drew Michael deserves his success. If anybody deserves it, it would be, it would be Drew Michael. Yet, <laughs> somebody is grizzled and veteran who's been doing it for, what, 40 years almost um, still gets jealous of somebody just because they're 20 years younger. 
it was a fucking hilarious episode. I, like, Drew Michael had to be on the defensive. I'm sure after this happened, he, he went through, like, a mental breakdown. I don't know. I don't, I'm just a man. I'm just, like, how could you not? After one of your, not heroes, but somebody that you look up to treats you as, like, a piece of shit, which is what he did in the most um, passive-aggressive way, I imagine. Like, it was not that passive-aggressive. It was like he really was very belittling of Drew Michael by implying, not implying, oh my goodness gracious. He was very belittling of his success and of his latest special. That's not a nice thing to do. That's not something he had to do. He didn't have to do that. (laughs) Like, just because you are a little, you know, just because you're like, also a comedian that happens to be Jewish, why do you have to like beat down other comedians like just because they're kind of similar? To... I would never do that to somebody who's a little bit lower on the totem pole than me. Like You don't have to mention that he did a bit that was a little bit similar to somebody. Like You don't have to mention all the, all the faults. It's like, why do that? So anyway, I just imagine that he probably had to uh, recover from that. I'm sure he it, like he went up to his closest confidants and was like, "Yeah, that was that was like something I'm, you know, that was bad. That was like that really uh, yeah, I have no idea. I'm just imagining how I would feel if that's how I was treated if I was in his ch- shoes. But it's not to be ex- it's to be expected. It's to be expected. Mark Marin is not a, a mature human being apparently. He should get his, he he probably has ADHD. Nah, maybe not. So that's enough about Drew Mike and all that. That's enough about that. So setting goals. I mean, yeah, you have to set goals. And then I could talk about all the individual goals that I'm working towards. I mean, one of them is to become a professional podcaster. And so I'm keeping a daily journal of what I'm doing, like what goals I'm working on. And that sounds like cheesy. And it's like something, it sounds like something that you just do so that you could tell other people that you're doing it to look like you're motivated and, you know, but I'm actually doing that um, because I actually want to achieve stuff. And I'm just thinking like, well, as cheesy as it is to keep a daily journal, I'm pretty sure a lot of successful people have, have done that. And that's kind of why they're successful. Like people that actually reach these huge lofty goals that you can never imagine reaching, like going on Shark Tank and selling a part of your business for like a million dollars and like getting all that fame and glory and success. That didn't happen overnight. It didn't, it's not like there's like, fuck, I got to fucking, no, they did it day by day by setting goals and breaking it down to individual days. At least that's what I'm thinking. I'm going to do. That's what I've been doing. And I'm a sleeper Jew. What is a sleeper Jew? A sleeper Jew is exactly what it sounds like. It's it's a Jewish person or Jewish um align, you know, what is the word? Jewish uh somebody that's Jewish enough where come on. They could they have the Jewish IQ and all that. So that's me. I'm a I'm a Jew. And I've been sleeping my whole life. Like, I, you know, I've had my moments where I've put out something and it's like, okay, people have given me positive feedback and they could tell I'm, that I'm talented. 
I've gotten that many times over where I can like, okay, at least I, so I know I'm talented. So why am I not achieving any of the things that I want to achieve? And that's because I was untreated for ADHD. Um, now that I'm treated, I'm no longer a sleepier. <laughs> I'm no longer like a idle Jew. I'm an actual, I'm an active Jew. So watch out. Watch the fuck out. It's only uphill from here. And even if you don't see what I'm talking about, I feel what I'm talking about. And that's going to manifest in the external world, in the material world. Just because it's in my mind doesn't mean that it's invalid. That's the difference between narcissism and actual positivity and actual success and intelligence and uh, rationale. I'm not crazy. I'm not a delusional narcissist who's just like, oh, I want to be famous. I am fucking the shit. Yeah, no, you could be the shit and think it and not be a narcissist. It's possible. It's possible to value your own skills and talents. Those are two different things. It's possible to be proud of your own talents without being a fucking narcissist. So I'm so anyway, so I'm finally I'm finally a woke Jew. And now that I'm got the medicine that I needed, I'm not even on the on the medicine right now and I'm still doing a good job I think on this episode. Jesus Christ, am I excited for the future? But since I do like talking about intelligence and how I have it, one of my goals, that is not a hard-to-find goal, but it's one of my goals, it's not like on a piece of paper, but it's, it's there, it's in my head, is to be featured on the subreddit, I am very smart. This would be, of course, for irony's sake, because I clearly have self-awareness and I am willing to be made fun of for being the type of person who brags about being smart, about being very smart, not just smart. I am unironically saying that I'm very smart compared to other people. And that means, yeah, it'd be cool to be featured on that subreddit for the fuck of it, because like, I, I don't care. I already have been made fun of on the internet in front of thousands of people. This is this is one of the things I would like to be made fun of for uh, also. But in all in all serious in all seriousness, uh, if you are very smart, if you're above average, that means you're smarter than most people in the world. That's what being above average means. So even if you just have like an like a IQ of like a hundred and ten. You're smarter than most people, I think. I don't know. I think the average is around 100. So if you're... So the higher you get in intelligence, the fewer people you're going to want to talk to because it's like, you know, what the, what do they got to say that, that you need to hear? If you're... Like, a, if you have an IQ of 140, you're not going to want to be around very many people because they're going to be saying shit that makes you cringe to the point where you're not going to have any teeth anymore because you're going to be doing this the whole time. It's like, fucking, did you really say that? That's why smart people tend to be quiet because they already know what not to say but at risk of... They already know that most things don't need to be said out loud. 
if somebody's a chatty cath, they just say a bunch of shit. It's like most of the shit they're saying doesn't need to be fucking said. So that's why that's why it's like very lonely to be smart. Um, you're not gonna have many friends because you need you know why the fuck would you want to be friends with somebody who's gonna make your life worse? Because I don't need like unless they're like improving my life insane things that actually I kind of didn't already think of myself I'd rather not be around them <laughs> so that's just how it works so it's very isolating and that's why it doesn't really make sense not to talk like it's there's not really any reason not to say that I'm smart it, like of course I'll sound like a douchebag but I'm already isolated from all the people that are going to call me that word so I don't give a fuck I already don't care about them. They're dumb. They're, fuck them. They're dumb. I don't give a shit if they think I'm a douchebag. Uh, if smart people say I'm a douchebag, maybe I'll think about it. But also, if they're smart, they'll get that I'm being ironic. Obviously, if I'm bragging about intellect, I am smart. I know that it looks bad, and I, that's why I'm doing it, because it's funny to brag sometimes. It's just funny to see somebody um, do that type of humor. It's not, it's the opposite of self-deprecation. Big whoop. That's all it is. You could either do self-deprecating or you could do neutral or you could do self-grandy, grand, self-aggrandizing humor. I do that. I do self-aggrandizing humor, like almost, almost a hundred percent. And a lot of comics don't get it. They don't just, they just don't understand like, I thought you were supposed to say that you're dumb. I thought you were supposed to, like, hate yourself. I don't get it. I can't do what he does, so I, therefore, I am, I don't like him. <laughs> like, just because you can't do that type of comedy doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong. That's the type of comedy I, I like. I like wearing, like, bombastic wardrobe. I like to overdress. Because it's funny. If you get it. Not everybody will get it. I understand that. That's kind of the whole point. I don't want to do comedy that everybody gets. And you got to keep your mind focused on the people that do already get it. And don't fucking listen to the people that don't. Like if somebody gives you advice, like, hey man, that style that you're doing, it comes off a little bit like arrogant. I'm Maybe you shouldn't do that. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I I like it, so I'm gonna keep doing it. And like other people like it, and I've been doing it for longer than you, so, well, maybe not. Maybe they've been doing it for longer than me, and they're still giving me this sh sh horrible advice. It's it's happened before. I've gotten horrible advice from people that have been doing it longer than me, and it's the same reaction. Like, oh, just because you've been doing it for longer than me, you think I'm gonna listen to your shitty advice? No, I don't even think you're funny. So I don't listen to shitty advice. If something's working, yeah, do it if you like if you like it. And if there's an audience for it, keep fucking doing it. Of course there's an audience for what I'm doing. I'm not the only one who does that. Like Tony Henchcliffe, his whole act is self-aggrandizing. And he's pretty I don't know, is he successful? Let me check. Has he let me check. Is he successful? Hmm. Well, um, yeah, he's pretty successful. Okay, so you get it. I think you get where I'm coming from on that topic. Being smart is lonely. 
Turns out being alone is better than being around dumb people. I'd rather be alone in solitude than be subject to the shit that comes out of people's mouths in this fucking city. Holy shit, is it a dumb city? Anyway, most every every city's dumb. Okay. Be proud of your talent. Don't be ashamed of your own of your fucking inherent gifts. Even though you didn't choose them, you should still be proud of them, you know? Like it's substance. It's it's a substantial quality that is useful. It's not just like the same as like nationality or race. Like, yeah, I'm proud of my race. It's like good for you. But that doesn't really it's not as good as it's not as valuable as an innate talent like many of the ones that I have that I you know, I don't like to talk about them that much because I'm humble. I'm not like an asshole. I don't like oh yeah, you're good. you don't have to fucking talk about them all the time. That's another difference between narcissists and uh just gifted people. There's plenty of overlap. There's plenty of gifted people who also have narcissistic personality disorder. Because I am talking, I guess I am kind of talking about the clinical type of narcissism, which I've been doing plenty of research on. And by that, I mean watching YouTube videos of experts who actually know what they're talking about. Um, You can learn stuff from YouTube. Um, And it's starting to dawn on me that a lot of people that that I've been hanging out with are narcissists and the reason i want to hang out with them is because they happen to be very talented at the thing i'm also trying to do so like yeah i want to surround myself by the best of the best but some of those best of the bests are also toxic narcissists who make it their livelihood to talk shit about the people that are like, you know, that they are not getting the approval of. That's what a narcissist kind of is. It's somebody that like blames other people for their problems and they get obsessed with other people that slighted them or like prevented them from getting somewhere and like they make it their fucking uh, hill to die on. Like they go to war with other people. I mean, that's what Trump is. That's what probably, that's what Kanye is. Um, so, you know, I was surrounding myself by those people because, you know, I knew how to get them on my side. You know, I, I'm very good at, <laughs> I have the emotional, like, uh, intelligence where I, I know how to, like, please narcissists to get them to tolerate my presence. It's not a friendship. It's a transactional relationship. So they were not my friends. You know, some of them had they were somewhat my friends and some flash flash in the pan moments like yeah you know they they considered me a friend i guess but i don't i didn't consider them friends because it was a one-sided transactional relationship where they were just using me for something that i was giving to them on a silver platter because it's lonely at the top and i wanted to be around people that were also at doing something they were at the top of their craft that's just what happens if you're doing a creative career you're going to be around a lot of narcissism and now i have the tools to uh not let them infect my life it was it's very hard to say no to people if you're untreated for adhd 
it's hard to say yes sometimes too, but it's it's even harder to say no. I don't know. That's just one of the traits that seems very common with ADHD. But now I have the the skill of saying no. And that's going to make people respect me more. It's going to, you know, it's going to alienate some people. Like some of these narcissistic, narcissistic types, they're not going to be able to get a hold of me if they need me for something or if they want something from me. I'm not going to respond or I will. I'll say no. And that's going to rub them the wrong way. And they're like, well, wait, you used to be, you used to be different. Yeah, I used to be untreated for a fucking chronic illness. I used to be mentally unwell. That's why I was associating with you. Even then, I knew that you were a fucking narcissist. I was just tolerating it because you had, you were good at something. And you, they gave me opportunity. I mean, that's, that's also a reason I was doing it. They do trickle down some of their success down to you if you're in their honorage. If you're also kind of talented, which they, all these narcissists did think I, they admitted that I was also talented. They didn't prop, you know, they didn't put me on a pedestal, but they gave me opportunities that I am still thankful for to this day. I guess. I mean, whatever. I would have gotten those opportunities from just regular people anyway, if I was at my best mentally. So I will continue to get opportunities with or without narcissists. I I just don't, I don't need them anymore. You know, I don't want to completely burn a bridge with them because that's not good. You know, they, they could still help me even as not like, even if I am just not in like their honorage or their circle, they could still, if they want be good hearted enough to actually be like, yeah, he's funny. He belongs here. That's all it takes to give a comic a career sometimes or an opera or a, something that helps them. A narcissist is capable of still doing altruistic things. So it's not all bad. I mean, you know, just because they have an illness doesn't mean that they're completely bad people. So you don't want to completely burn a bridge with them. It's just good to know that I don't have to be manipulated by them. I'm not going to suck somebody's dick to get anywhere. I don't have to. I have my own platform. It's in my bedroom. I have my own internet connection. What else do you need to become a professional uh, entertainer? Not much. You need the talent and the, you need to be willing and able. That's it. It's not that hard. Like getting an audience is not hard. You could get an audience on TikTok very easily. You get, you could get hundreds of thousands of eyeballs if what you put out is even remotely interesting. So that's not the hard part. The business is not unfair. If you're not making it in show business, you're the one to blame. Because if you're good at it and you're consistently putting out a product that people like, there's enough people in the world that they were they will follow you no matter where you go. That's just how, how good it is to be a comedian. That's just how valuable it is to the world to do what I'm trying to do. People still talk about Bill Hicks who died 30 years ago. He died about 30 years ago and he's still the most lauded comedian of all time, except for George Carlin and Pryor and a couple others. He's one of the top comedians of all time. And he was not famous in his lifetime. And so you just have to keep your eye on the prize, 
even if it's never going to happen in your lifetime. You got to focus on putting out a good product. That's number one. It doesn't matter how many people are listening to this podcast right now. What matters is making sure that it's a good podcast. Like looking into the lens of the camera when I'm talking, not looking into the monitor because then people, it's not, you could tell I'm not looking at you. You got to look into the lens. You got to talk into the mic from a side, from the side. You don't want to talk directly into it because it picks up more unwanted sounds. I don't know. That's just something I'm slowly learning. Maybe I'm wrong, but in my opinion, like there's so many little things that you got to learn. Like the lights, I'm still learning how to set up lights. I don't know about lighting yet. It's something I am going to be learning about very soon. It's the little stuff that adds up. And that brings me to the next topic, the next real topic of this episode. Um, producing shows. I have the skill that I've been kind of, you know, kind of taken for granted, but I have a, this skill of being able to produce comedy shows. And that's, that's what show business is. You need somebody to produce the show. It's not all about talent. You need somebody to also make sure that the production quality is good enough or else the talent will not be able to perform at their best. It's very important. It's almost, it's like so important to actually know what you're doing. Even if it's just like the lowest level show imaginable that it's not even showbiz, you still got to learn. That's a good place to learn is the, uh, is by running open mics. Like just that alone still takes skill, which is, which is debatable. Some people will say, no, it doesn't. Are you kidding me? Running an open mic takes skill. No, it doesn't. You just set up an amplifier. You don't even need an amplifier. Literally open mics can happen without any production value whatsoever. They can just happen spontaneously, but it helps to actually have it produced well. And, you know, I've noticed that when other people put these little touches into just the, an open mic, like, like setting up the lights and making sure the microphone is good quality and clean. Just little things like that are essential to making it worthwhile to the, to the comedians that are going to it every week. So I learned from other people and I just figured out naturally on my own that, it, that just doing little things like having a very cohesive sign-up form online that is just super easy that anyone could just do and there's no confusion of like, okay, when does it go out? How do I get on this open mic? Like, um, another thing, like just a, the tiniest example is just like I ran an open mic. I rented out a, a little black box theater and I, you know, it started off as a weekly open mic and then I made it into a, a paid showcase a, a little bit, a little bit more professional. Um, one thing I did that I think was valuable was just printing out the list and putting it on a clipboard and putting the title and date on the piece of paper. That's it. Just just a heading. It just said, okay, this is a Tim's Joke Shop, This and this is the date, March 15th. Just having that on a piece of paper, and it's, you know, it's professional. It's, it has the list of comics that signed up and room for me to write in more, and it's on a clipboard. Just that 
makes people go, oh, okay, like at least somebody's like putting effort into this. Maybe, it, and then that translates over to them putting an effort into their set, and then they have a better time. They come back every week because it's the best thing going on that day. They tell other people by word of mouth. It spreads, becomes popular, and they remember it forever for the rest of their lives. They remember, okay, that was a good open mic. As small of an accomplishment as that is, that builds to bigger and better things. Like I started doing, I realized, okay, the open mic is going pretty well. And there's an actual audience coming in and paying to see it, which is insane. I was able to sell tickets for an open mic, and it sold out almost every single week. I mean, it was a tiny theater. It was only like, it was a tiny theater. But the point is, I sold it out for five bucks a ticket. And so, you know, so I realized, okay, let's actually start booking real comics and make it a produced show that's actually curated and have like four strong acts and a host. I didn't even do the hosting. That's how hands-off I, I actually, I don't think I hired him. I don't know if I paid him. Did I pay him? Maybe I paid him a little bit. Yeah, I probably paid him a little bit. Maybe. Um, I had a host and it was a high quality show. Some of them were so fucking good, you know, so I'm, I'm still proud of the fact that I put out something that other people enjoyed and probably still remember. And like, I knew what they liked it because I got feedback and like, you're, I was the only one doing a show at the time in the whole city pretty much. Cause it was right in the middle of COVID pretty much. Like it was right in the downswing, um, when it was okay to go out for a little bit. And then it came back Delta, but this was like a very opportune time to be putting on a showcase. So I better do a good job. And I, I did do a good job and I was the only producer i didn't i didn't need other people telling i didn't need help the only help i needed was with the actual talent side of it hosting and doing jokes on stage which i did i paid people some comics i paid 20 bucks and some comics i paid 40 bucks if they were like sought after comics that i actually plucked out of like some comics didn't apply i went to them I, I just knew, okay, this comic is very funny. Let's see if they're available. And I had to pitch them on the show a little bit. I'd be like, okay, I'll pay you 40 bucks. Is that enough? Like, you know, and it was it worked out extremely well for that, for those types. Like they, they got a lot out. They actually enjoyed, they liked it. It wasn't like an amateur. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just doing this fucking shitty show by this Jewish guy. I, I, okay, pays 40. No, they actually like got something out of it. So it was very rewarding, even though it was a net loss. It was a personal expenditure. It came out of my pocket. I didn't make a single penny off of it. Um, so it was just like a chair. It was like me just being nice. It's like altruism. It's like, okay, not altruism, but it's like kind of charity. Because you feel good doing it, so you get something out of it. So it's like charity, but also it helped me out by looking. It just maybe, um, obviously people knew that, okay, you're the guy that's running the only show really. so of course it helps me in that respect it, it made me look good socially so i have that skill of producing shows and so i i kind of take it for granted but it's something that i'm sure will come up later in my career as it is right now this podcast required multiple hours of pre-production just to, just this podcast i had to dis make many decisions 
It took time. It took time to do just for the pre-production. Right now, this is the production. After this, post-production starts. That's going to be like a week long. That could take a long time because you never know. I might go back later and be like, oh, maybe I should get a clip. Okay, Jesus Christ, this is boring. Okay, let's get into the... (laughs) We're only an hour and 20 minutes in. Let's get into the meat of the uh, episode. I guess I'm going to start going a little bit faster because I don't really really want this to be a two-hour long episode. I'll just do it on the next one. So... Low quality people. We talked a little bit about that. I'm I'm now a little bit better that um, I'm mentally healthy, so I don't have to be around low quality people. I actually quit Facebook. I made my very last Facebook post. Um, I'm very proud of that. I it's it's it was the most because I don't take say uh, I've not been using Facebook as like a serious thing. I only use it to troll. I would just post like, you know, just crazy statuses, pretty much like Twitter and just not give a fuck what people said. I didn't read any of the comment. I don't, it's not the point. I was a post and ghoster. So I made my last post and it was, the, it was actually kind of a serious post. Um, I don't know if anybody read it, but if the, for, but it actually contained, you know, it said like, okay, I cured, I, I found, I found out what was wrong with me. It was ADHD. If you are a, a funny person or a Jew or an Italian who happens to be funny and you can't quite figure out show business, research ADHD because that was my problem and getting it treated has been a lifesaver. So I did put that in a post and that's serious and that's true. So And then I said, and then I ended it by saying, you know, since I am cured and since I'm going to be a successful entertainer, you know, if you're one of those people that just complains about how the business is unfair, yeah, it's not. You just suck. That was the very last thing I said on Facebook for my in my whole life. And then I put a cover photo up um, to show that if you need to reach me, yeah, I'm not gonna. Res- I'm not here anymore. Like, <laughs> I I still have a profile because who cares? I don't need to del- delete it. I don't give a shit. I'm not like that dramatic. I'm not like a dramatic like, oh, I deleted my Facebook. I don't give a fuck. No, I still have a Facebook. But the cover photo says, um, I'm no longer mentally ill enough where I have to be on Facebook. So Godspeed to you if you're reading this because that means you're still on Facebook. And then I said, uh, for all inquiries, here's my email. And so that's it. So it'll always be that. And people will be like, oh, I guess whatever happened to... Does he still have a Facebook? And they'll, they'll see, like, yeah, he still has a Facebook, but he doesn't have to fucking be on there anymore. He fucking graduated from that shit. And the great thing about Facebook is since it's like a failed company now, Meta is a failed company, at least as of right now, it's not looking good. Um, conveniently, it's impossible to unlink your Facebook from Instagram. I tried on multiple devices. I tried on the website. And when I try to do it on my iPhone, it says, you do not have the latest version of Instagram, even though I do. So it's impossible to unlink my Facebook from Instagram, which is kind of convenient for them as they are currently circling the drain And I, after I happen to leave Facebook for good. There was a mic in Chicago that gave you an extra minute if you said the N-word, 
Let that sink in for a little bit. I was just list, I was just thinking about this like the other night. It just I was just like, oh, that's right. There was a mic that gave you an extra minute if you said the N word, and it just made me laugh out loud. In the it was like probably like four a.m. at the time. I was like, fuck it, that's hilarious, dude. Because I forgot about that, dude. This was like a couple of years ago before COVID. So who remembers anything before COVID? And it was fucking hilarious, dude. Because like. I fucking did that. I fucking said the N-word. And, I, that the fucking op- and like, this was in front of not just comics. Like, this open mic, <laughs> the one time I'm thinking of, had a real audience. <laughs> and they still went through with the gimmick. And I don't think the audience was expecting it. I don't think the audience knew that that was a gimmick. Because I went up there and immediately, I think my first word was the N-word. <laughs> And they were just staring at me blankly like, was he supposed to do that? Because I was pretty confident when I did it. So it's like, maybe he's allowed to for some reason. I don't know. So it didn't ruin my set at all. It was a perfectly fine set. I didn't feel like I was going to get attacked afterwards. Like, not only did I get away with it, it was like a positive experience. And it was funny. Like, as soon as I said it, the dude in the back who was running is like, that's a minute. <laughs> and then, you know, and then I said it again because, I, you know, I, you know, if you're going to say it once, you might as well say it again. And then he was like, you only get one extra minute. <laughs> so I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up because I think it was fucking hilarious, dude. It has nothing to do with anything else in the episode. It was fucking funny, dude. Anyway, so I made my return to stand-up after about three and a half months of taking off stand-up. It was probably the longest break I've ever taken from stand-up, including COVID. During COVID, I I did stand-up more than every three months. I did it in parks, and a couple indoor venues were even tolerant for a few times to let us do so yeah, I never took a break longer than that in my whole career, in my whole open mic, whatever you want to call it, because I don't have a career. Let's just say, let's just call it a career. Who gives a fuck? Um, and so I, this was like a very dark period in my life that I just recently came out of, and it took a long time to decide if I even was ever going to go back to stand-up, because like, you know, just because I'm, you know, I wasn't like giving up on show business in general. Because I was still doing the podcast at that time. But I was like, do I really need to be doing stand-up? Because it, it, it just pays such low currency back to what you're putting in if you're just doing open mics. Like if you're just... Because I was not just doing open mics. I was actually doing shows, paid shows, guest spots um, before I took this break. So it's not like I was not doing... It's not like I was not getting places is, is what I'm trying to say. I took the break because I just wasn't getting the reward, the uh, the mental creative fulfillment that I that I need. So I took a long break, and I finally returned to stand up. I, I returned uh, about a week ago, Thursday or Friday, just a week ago, and they are very nice in this town. So this is a positive. This is another positive topic of the podcast this comedy scene is very inclusive and kind to comedians 
that take three months off and then all of a sudden come back. Because everybody said hi to me. Nobody gave me an ego check. Because in Chicago, that kind of happened. Like if you take a month off, if you take three months off from comedy in Chicago, you're no longer a comic. You know, like, yeah, like your close friends will be like, oh, where were you? But the vast majority of them will be like, oh, fuck all this guy. Oh, you think you're a comic? Oh, you think you're back into this into comedy? Look at you. No, Austin is not like that at all. They were like, oh, where have you been? Oh, and like they were like, welcome back. They literally said that like multiple people said, welcome back. So I'm just saying I'm happy to be in a good comedy scene not a toxic one you know there's plenty of toxic people in this comedy scene but like there's a lot of many more people that are not toxic they just want to be comedians and they're just trying to be funny so i am happy to be here i'm in the right place at the right time so the stars are aligned and it's great pretty great i'm gonna to try to do kill tony again okay so jealousy is not a problem <laughs> Yeah, it's, we kind of already talked about this. Yeah, like jealousy. You don't really get jealous anymore if you're mentally stable, if you're healthy. Jealousy is usually only exhibited through, a, you know, it's just it's a form of mental illness, I think, you know? And, you know, like so many people came here or anywhere, they just come, they show up someplace thinking that they are like better than other people and then they immediately realize that they're not as good as they thought and they see other people who are getting opportunities and they go, well, fuck that guy. I'm, he's not that good. I'm better than him. And they, and they get super bitter and then they completely stop doing anything except for complain. And I knew a few people like that who moved to Austin and then they realized they were in, in way above their head. They came in here with an ego riding on their high horse thinking that everybody would just line up to give their mediocre ass opportunities which is like that's not how it works you have to be like more than mediocre because there's already plenty of that we already have enough mediocrity um you have to be good and you have to not be an asshole so so like i'm thinking like i, I moved here around the same time as two people who are pretty they're mediocre like they're decent at comedy but also they have horrible interpersonal skills so they quickly got slapped in the face by by the austin comedy scene and they they just don't do it anymore well one of them moved back completely just moved away and he thinks he he like just he thinks that austin's just not good or something actually it's like no other people are doing great It's it's totally you you're the one who's not good enough for Austin, that's the problem. Yeah, you could shit on Austin all you want. There's plenty of things to make fun of in Austin. I do it all the time. Does that mean that there's that it's a bad place to be as a comic? No, it's absolutely no. It's great. It's a great place to be as a comic. Um, so he was like dead wrong about everything he was saying. And on top of that, since he was so vicious about it and so obnoxious about it, yeah, of course you're not going to get any... Like, people are just going to fucking hate you. And they're just going to talk shit about you like I'm currently doing. And like, you're, you're, like nobody's going to... You're going to be completely insufferable. Um, so jealousy's bad. Uh, yeah, I'm just not... I don't really get jealous anymore when I see people doing well on anything. Like if I see like a musician 
doing well on like ACL. Like I'm not a huge, I didn't think I was a fan of Paramore, but I am now. I'm now a fan of fucking Paramore because they murdered or she, like that band and the lead singer songwriter is are pretty fucking good at what they do. And they killed that set at ACL. They ended on uh, Misery Business, which is their old classic, their big first classic hit. That was good, but also they ended on a song called Hard Times. And I never really latched onto that song, but after watching them do it live, like I could just tell that they were so fucking tight and locked in. The bassist, fucking amazing. There's this vocoder part in the song, and it's fucking, it gets like an applause break. And she's a really good performer, the way she was like moving around the stage. So there's no jealousy in that. Why would I be jealous of that? No, like, the reason, like, why would I? Well, some people actually do get jealous of somebody that's successful because they go, why not me? And I used to be that way. I used to be like, why not me? Yeah, I'm, I don't have I don't have that problem anymore. I go, well, that's fucking amazing. They deserve every bit of the success and admiration that they have. Uh, especially Paramore. Like, Paramore is a good example because it's not like Avril Lavigne. I'm sure there's a lot of crossover with that fan base, of course. But one act is way better than the other right now. Paramore is a professional creative uh, beast. They actually know how to write songs and perform them, and it's like very good shit. And so, yeah, who gives a shit if it's a little bit like not... If I'm not the target demographic, it doesn't mean I am not a fan. You could be a fan of something just by virtue of being a fan of music. Like, if somebody's good at music, it doesn't matter if I'm the target audience. I'm just such a big music fan that anything good... I'm probably going to be a fan of like Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'll talk about them a little bit. Yeah, I'm a fan of Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm not a huge fan, but like a lot of people that are Red Hot Chili Peppers fans and Paramore fans and Avril Lavigne fans, that's pretty much all they listen to because, you know, not everybody's a music person. Not everybody is like a huge fan of music. So they only listen to the shit that really like vibrates with them, that, that resonates with them. That's just how it is for most people. So it's like, yeah, they have a type of music that they like. No, not if you're like a music fan. I like anything that just happens to be fucking good. And that's part of just being born a certain way. You're just like, if you, if you ever lived, if you're just a certain type of person, you're going to have a wider appetite for more things you're going to be you're going to have a bigger palette for what you subscribe to in terms of fandom so that's why you could transcend your own uh, cultural boundaries it's not cultural appropriation to appreciate music from uh, black artists i don't know why i have to say the word black so aggressively i don't, I, I don't know why i do black um, but some would argue that it is cultural appropriation to, like, you know, listen to blues music from the early 1900s and um, start playing it yourself or whatever, like, as a white person. No, it's because you like the music, because you appreciate it. You're not being racist, obviously. Uh, 
Um, like I don't, I don't think Cream is racist for making blues music. I, I think he's racist for saying that he wants to keep the United Kingdom white. That was probably a little racist, but not the music that he was. <laughs> like Jimi Hendrix. Oh my goodness, do I do I understand Jimi? Do I love Jimi Hendrix? Um, he transcended cultural boundaries. He was a black dude. I said it again. Let's try it a little soft. He was a he was a black dude, but he was gifted in music in a way that transcended anything that had to do with race. It had nothing to do with that. He was black. He he was a fucking alien, dude. He was like he was, that's the last thing that, you, that I give a shit about him. That he was black. It's just that he was a the most creative person in the '60s. One of the most creative persons in the 60s i don't give a fuck what he was i don't even i don't give a fuck if he was like a human that's why i said like he's like an alien he was that fucking gifted and so something i don't like that's relevant that the reason i bring him up is a lot of people think that you're not a, like i don't know if that's true but like a lot of people do like dress like Jimi hendrix like on purpose like they actually have the hair and like they dress like Jimi Hendrix, and you, you know, the, I'm talking. I guess these are usually black people that do this. You know, I've never seen a white person do it that on the nose. It's definitely true that there are certain black artists or comedians or entertainers, people, wannabes, whoever. Usually, yeah, amateurs who are just totally copying Jimi Hendrix's style, his wardrobe, his image. And that's not something that's not something he would endorse. No, he was for individuality. So if he sees somebody that just looks like him with the headband and the afro, you know, and it's like the obviously emulating his look, he would probably like be like, "Okay, ugh. So that's not what he was about. He was about individuality. So if you're literally dressing like a cultural icon that was anti-cultural icon, you're probably not gonna. You're probably not in the right place. You're not. You're not barking up the right tree. I don't know. It's just like I would never give them this advice. I would just not be a fan of them. Like there's one person. Like hey, who gives a? F- I'm not gonna talk about shit about somebody. Okay, next topic. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Okay. So Andrew Tate, I don't know. I guess I, I'm bringing up him for some reason. Um, okay, so yeah, here's another thing about individuality. Yeah, this goes perfectly. Holy crap. I'm like Jordan Peterson, dog. Uh, Andrew Tate, somebody was like, oh, did you see the Andrew Tate thing? I was like, no, I don't know nothing about him. It's like, well, how do you not know who Andrew Tate is? You have the same opinion. You, you're like from the manosphere. You're like one of those sexist, like... You're like one of those incel types. So, of course, you, you should have known who Andrew... What are you, a fucking idiot? Um, but it turns out that's just not how it works. Like, just because I'm a, just because I have a certain opinion doesn't mean I'm a fan of everybody with the same opinions as me. Um, like, I, I meet people all the time who have the same opinions as me. That does not mean I want to be around them. Uh, that's just not how... I'm not that simple-minded. I'm not that easy to please. I'm not that easily manipulatable. Manipulable. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I did finally watch the Andrew Tate interview with Piers Morgan, and 
I think I'm on team Piers Morgan, dog. Like, Piers Morgan came off a lot better, you know? Andrew Tate acted as if he was, like, like in a completely different world that Piers Morgan didn't understand cancel culture. I mean, Piers, Piers Morgan has gotten a lot of flack from over the past few years for his opinions. So I think Andrew Tate is not an alien, to, to Piers, like they're both not that different but Andrew Tate was acting as if he was like in a different category um, he did not do well he, like I'm, he's not that smart I am a smarter person than Andrew Tate and he he didn't look that good on the interview he was like well I didn't know I was going to be the most famous person in the world when I was saying that shit it's like well then why were you doing it why were you, what were you trying to achieve by going on these podcasts? Like, obviously, you wanted to be famous. And as somebody in that position right now, trying to become um, an entertainer, I'm fully aware that some of the shit I'm saying right now is definitely going to come back to haunt me. Um, so maybe be a little bit better at like explaining yourself don't just be like well if i knew it would be seen by millions of people maybe i would have rephrased well you don't have to go back in time you could just rephrase it now like the big thing that was the most memorable part is like him defending calling uh wives property it's like if you marry somebody that's uh the woman is your property it's like Okay, that's not the best choice of words. You can, can you just, do you have to really like die on the hill? And be like, well, at the time, it's like the point, is, you still might have had some point even then. Like, even, okay, it's a, it's a word that triggers people, but you could have just been like, okay, maybe that's not the best word. Sue me. But my opinion has not changed. That's all he had to say to get out of that. Just say, well, okay, I get why that's a bad word to use. But the point I was making was that, in essence, I mean, kind of. They're kind of your property. I mean, okay, it's controversial. Like, did you really have to just be, like, stonewalling him and be like, 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 act as if you were perfect at the time? Nobody's, like, that's the thing that made him look bad. And the fact that he's a douche. And I couldn't even, that's why I never looked at him before. is because he looks like somebody that would not have much to say. And it turns out that's the case. Everything he says has been said better by other people, including me. I mean, yeah. Okay, let's just start wrapping this up. We spent, we're already like, what, an hour and 42 minutes? Holy shit. I guess we're going to save maybe the next topic for next episode. I don't know. It's pretty a big, it's a pretty long one. So yeah, we're probably just going to skip over that and save it. So I'll end this episode by saying that I am trying to become a professional entertainer. That's why I'm speaking in a more, what I think is a more professional broadcasting way. Like I'm not yelling as much, like I'm not being as theatrical. I'm trying to actually like make points, you know? I'm not trying to just make like clips that are like funny, like, okay, that's a funny. Like, I'm actually trying to like give some meat for you to chew on. And this is a turning point for me. This is, I am going to be upgrading my setup very soon. The next episode will probably be in a different bedroom of the house. I do like doing it in my 
in this room because it's it's pretty nice and uh, intimate, and that's appropriate because this is a very intimate uh, podcast. I mean, Jesus Christ, what have I not talked about that is personal? I, I pretty much have said the most, I've revealed the most deep shit about my life. So it's appropriate that it's right where I sleep, you know, because it's like, welcome to my house. Okay, so how do I, so I am fully dedicated to being a professional entertainer. And the reason I use the word entertainer is because there's three different disciplines included in that. I am a triple threat. I am a comedian. I'm a singer. And I'm a deep thinker. I'm a podcaster. I'm I'm able to do those three things pretty well to the point where I think I could do it for money. Um, Comedy, I've already talked about enough. That, yes, I could do that. I'm definitely funny enough to do that professionally. Podcasting, I, I think I can too. I've listened to many, many other podcasts from comics of my caliber, like from my level of experience, and they are mostly pretty bad. Um, unlistenable. <laughs> and then uh, singing. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a singer. I'm starting to call my I'm starting to call myself a singer, which is pretty cringe, but it's true. I actually can hold a note. I could sing a tune. I could hold a tune. Even people that I don't know have told me that I could that I'm reasonably <laughs> that I could actually kind of sing, not well, but like even people with like really good ears, like perfect pitch, which I talked about on the last episode. People with perfect pitch even said, okay, like, you know, you're flat and sharp all the time, and I can't, it's bad, but, you know, you still could sing. So, that's what I'm going to be pursuing um, in, a, in a professional way. Like, I, and by that I mean, I'm actually trying to actively make it my meal ticket. This is important to distinguish, because if you're just doing it as a hobby and it just happens to make you a little bit of income, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not enough to call yourself a real professional entertainer. The reason this is important is because of legal reasons. And IRS, the IRS actually, if you're doing something that is not your source of income that you're living off of and you're not doing it to actually feed you, yeah, they're just going to call it a, it's just going to be a hobby to them. You can't deduct. This is where this is where the Jewish part comes. This is why it's so important as a Jew. I mean, this is this is important for anybody, but a Jew would be better at picking up on why it's so important. So, tax deductions are critically important in any business. It's like a 40% discount uh give or take. Um, if you could write something off on your tax forms as an itemized deduction. So that's why I've decided I am now a professional entertainer because I'm starting to make itemized deductions and make purchases that will be under the banner of a corporation, Um, not just my personal assets. These assets that I'm purchasing, that I will be purchasing for the new studio, will be 
company assets. So it'll have its own insurance policy. This is very not that interesting to most people, but to some people, it's pretty damn interesting. To my, to, to my accountant, it was interesting. Okay, okay. That's pretty much the only person it would be interesting to. Uh, but it is interesting. So that's cr that's pretty damn that's pretty damn cool. Because that means either I'm going to make it, I'm going to eventually figure out how to make it profitable, or I have to pretty much like shut down the business. And I don't know what will happen. I'll, it'll go bankrupt. Yeah, I'll probably have to declare bankruptcy at some point if I have all these assets, but no income to, to pay for them, to support the, the maintenance, to maintain the position that I'm in. That's pretty much how any business is. Any business is going to have assets, liabilities, income, and expenses. So if you're spending money, you better hope that you're making more than you're spending. So that's pretty much it. I just wanted to say that I'm going to be making itemized deductions on purchases such as, you know, microphone, equipment, you know, podcasting gear. And anything else that is critical to getting me to become a profitable entertainer, that could be including um, things like wardrobe. Like, because, you know, I like to dress uh, extravagantly because it goes with my act. It helps the act. It improves the quality of my content by to dress like a douche. And the IRS will look at that and they'll be like, okay, does he really need to be wearing Versace just to do his act? And then I'll go, you bet your sweet ass it helps because people see the Versace and they go, oh, look at this douchebag. And then they see that it matches the act and then it's like, oh, I get it. I get it. And then they remember, oh, he's the douche. He's the Versace guy. So that's why it's legit unless I fail because in my heart of hearts, I'm not just doing it as a tax write-off to save some money on a hobby. This is what I'm fully dedicated my time to. I have no side gigs. This is the main gig. That's why I'm so serious and dedicated and standing up straight and got my hair combed because I'm actually showing up. This is my job, what you're seeing right now. So I think that's enough on that. I think that's about it. It's a very exciting time in my life, and I'm glad that the people who are watching this, are getting in early on something that's going to become more beautiful as time goes on. So thank you very much. This has been episode 50 of the Tim Weixelbaum Show. I'll see you all next week or whenever I decide to do this next.